You're listening to Work Tape, episode 43. Welcome to the Work Tape podcast. It is your hosts, Isaac Grover and Jeff Hall. How's it going? It's going, man. How's your week been? Uh, it's been a mixed bag. It's been something. I can't describe it quite yet. I will let you know when I can. <laughs> Post us later. Yes. <laughs> so songwriting part two. Yes, part two. We were going to discuss a little bit about music theory. Is it helpful or is it hindering? Helpful or hindering? This is one of my least favorite bands of all time. Helpful or hindering? Hinder. Hinder. Cannot stand hinder. Never heard hinder. Well, I won't hinder you from torturing yourself. Can I listen to them on my Kinder? I don't know what Kinder is. It sounds German. I mean Kindle, not Kinder. Oh my gosh. I was going to say that. That sounds German to me. <laughs> well, at least you laughed out of it. That was good. Because <laughs> that joke was totally butchered. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't want to hinder you, us from continuing. Yeah, we'll get back to that later. <laughs> um, that totally caught me off guard. Uh, but pertaining to, yes, is it helpful or hindering? That's good. And you're talking about music theory. Yeah, because sometimes you can use too much of it and get yourself overanalyzing something that shouldn't be overanalyzed. It's simple. Just make it simple. You're making it too complicated. You're thinking it through too much. And it takes away a lot of the magic. Okay. So I think music theory is basically just a tool. It is a tool. It's a tool that you can use well, wisely or misuse poorly. Tool use music theory pretty heavily. Tool does. And they have some interesting... They always have interesting bass lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot how it goes. It's like a nine... What is it? Something seven? Nine... Se- I can't remember the... The time signature? Yeah, seven yeah, something. They, they're always about those weird time signatures. And they have their sound. That's just cool. Like their sound is just... It's tool. Like It is tool. It's kind of like a staple of their music. It's a wacky time signatures and cool bass lines. And that's a very clever schism. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> schism. Huh. So I've noticed this too for prog bands. Uh, definitely music theory is a pretty big thing. Yeah. Like Rush, Tool, Dream Theater. I would say so because a lot of the stuff that they're playing, you have to be able to like logically think that out. Like they're not just randomly coming up. I mean. We're not messing around, man. You can't just indie folk it out of this yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> With folk, I think it's more of like amateur musicians kind of just learning a few chords and then experimenting with their own sounds. And that's why I like folk music a lot because it's really accidental and it sounds more natural and more like genuine. Dude, it works really well. Yeah. I mean, I like my Rush, but I also like my. I love my Rush. My Simon Garfunkel. I love Simon Garfunkel too. And I love like America or like, um, oh, Nick Drake. like Nick Drake. Perfect so example. him, I don't remember. Did you show me him sometime? Um, I may have shown you Pink Moon, which is the best album ever by him. What year is that from? Uh, 72. Oh, it's 50 years old. Yeah. Sorry for all those oh, 72 yeah, born people out there. I want to say 72. <laughs> if I'm wrong, yeah, I might be wrong. But I know it is early 70s and he released it in his parents' basement, I think. And he did it all by himself. It's just basic acoustic guitar and him singing. And I think there's one track that has a piano on it. Is it like Neil Young-esque? 
No, it's kind of it's Joni Mitchell is uh, like with the chords and stuff, but hmm. uh, you, you give it a listen. It's it's cool. A lot of people say that Elliot Smith kind of took from him. Okay. In terms of vocal styles and um, yeah, he's really good. He's a cool guy. Would you say Elliot was like a mix of that and the Beatles? Yeah. Nick Drake didn't use as complicated of chord progressions, but his voice, like the vocal delivery was very oh. similar. They always call it like the spiderweb delivery or like spider thin delivery. So was it mostly like cowboy chords? Uh, no, he did a lot of alternate tunings like Joni Mitchell. And so you can get like a lot of lush sounds and like interesting chord progressions out of it. Okay. But he um, he's a folk guy. Uh, his first two albums were definitely folk. Like he had, I'd say more like Neil Young. But the Pink Moon album was a little bit more experimental. Okay, yeah. I haven't listened to him before. I haven't even listened. He's a good songwriter. Is he at all in any shape or form like Harry Nilsson? Yes, yeah. Okay. Everybody's talking? No. Well, I know he did one and Three Dog Night covered it. Hmm. So Harry Nilsson was the first one to do one. Is the loneliest number. I don't yeah. remember how it actually originally went, but of course, everyone knows the Three Dog Night version. Yeah. I mean, that one, I think they made the cover, but we can always get into that another time. Yeah. Where the cover is better than the original. Yeah, I know. Nilsson <laughs> is great, but uh, Nick, I have not listened to Nick, not consciously knowing his name. Hmm. There's a album by Beck called Sea Change. And you can tell he was listening to a lot of Nick Drake and a lot of like folk stuff because it's the whole album is very stripped down. It's just acoustic guitar and him and a couple of tracks that have like some string arrangements and like a little bit of instrumentation, orchestral stuff. So Beck took some stuff from him. Yes, yes. Mm. There's one track on that Sea Change one. I think it's called uh, End of the Road. Beck and Elliot are both top-notch songwriters. Oh, Beck is amazing. Yeah. Mutations, that album is so good. We were talking about how, I remember, having tracks that are totally different. Like, they sound completely unique. Beck did that on that album. He has, like, a bossa nova-sounding song. He's got, like, a jazzy one. He's got a Radiohead-esque one. Who doesn't? I know, everyone's ripping (laughs) off Radiohead. Coldplay, Beck. (laughs) Even Radiohead ripped off Radiohead. Radiohead did rip off Radiohead. Tom York, when his solo stuff, he ripped off. (laughs) (laughs) Muse. Yeah. Honestly, if you rip off Radiohead… You're doing something right. You're doing something right. Mm -hmm. And if you can get away with it, you're doing something really right. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. No, I needed to check out Nick, man. Yeah, he's cool. He's… Definitely uh, comparable to, I'd say, Joni Mitchell. That's the best. At least that album is comparable to Joni Mitchell because of the chords. They're just weird, like very uh, open sounding, like spacey. I like traditional major and minor chords, but add a seventh to it. Add a ninth to it. Jazz it up, man. Like, Because <laughs> my melodies are not as strong as they should be. So I'll just cover them up with lush chords. Okay. To yeah. Hide the fact that so, I can't write melodies. That's a good point. I think a lot of good songwriting is really just a bunch of cover-ups. Yeah, it's a it's a magic show. Deceit or like a it's an illusion, hand. dude. Yeah. So much songwriting is an illusion. But I also think that someone who is really skilled at something, they know where they might lack. Yeah. And then they compensate for it in some shape or form. Yeah. Like for those of us who aren't Prince. <laughs> oh, and not many of us are. <laughs> so unless you are Prince. You're going to have to do some sort of compensating. Yeah. Right? And I mean, even Michael Jackson. Because you, you everyone know? has Cause flaws he, in their songwriting. So you got to 
Yeah, like you're saying, you got to kind of hide him. Yeah, Michael Jackson couldn't, he wasn't playing instruments, but he made up for it with his, his vocal range. And Okay, so that's true. He made it up with his vocals and he made it up in more visual ways, right? As yeah. an artist. His whole persona. Exactly. exactly. And yeah, no, Michael Jackson is a whole new world that you could just discover. Man, it's it's such a rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, Michael made up for his lack of being able to play an instrument by just being the greatest singer of all yeah. time, really. His you know? voice was the instrument. He didn't need a guitar or a piano or anything. Couldn't he like beatbox and stuff like that? I know he could mimic the instruments at least. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And he was a perfectionist. So I think perfectionism can also help an artist who isn't super versed in every instrument. Yeah. Is being a perfectionist, period. Because then they'll perfect whatever they are good at to the absolute best. Mm-hmm. I know Beyonce and artists like that have that ability, even though I'm not necessarily a fan of Beyonce's music. I've always admired her work ethic. It's really good. Yeah, I've never really listened to her. I'm sure I've heard of him, but I just didn't know. Everyone's heard Beyonce at this point. Yeah. I know she was in the Austin Powers movie, wasn't she? Oh, she would be. Foxy Cleopatra or something? (laughs) She would be. Foxy (laughs) Cleopatra. And I'm a whole lot of women. When that movie came out, oh my gosh, what a segue, right? We're totally talking (laughs) about movies now. We're talking about Austin Powers now? No, well, there's a lot of good music in Austin Powers. I can't. Oh, okay. So (laughs) we were talking about this not that long ago on another episode with Christina with Hard Knock Life. And oh, yeah, that was... In- yeah, the, I couldn't get Jay-Z out of my head. <laughs> huh. Remember that? Dr. Evil does like the, the mini-me rap. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, he does, yes. That was yes. a different one, though. <laughs> that was in the second one, wasn't it? I think so. It's funny, but it's also... <laughs> Mike Myers is just being Mike Myers. Okay, cool. So I like this. I like this. This is a good direction. Because now we're going to start talking about Smash Mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were talking about that. Okay. Yeah, Shrek, right? Yeah. What a, what oh, a segue. Yeah, Mike Myers. There we go. That was perfect, Now Jeff. we're back into Jeff, Smash Mouth. you are the greatest, Jeff. That was fantastic. Before you weren't, but now you are. No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm playing. Uh, so All Star, <laughs> unironically, is a great song. And yeah. that is actually a really good, like, that's a good, that's good songwriting. Yeah, if you can use it in so many movies and commercials yeah. over and over and it still is fresh, it's good. It has lasted the or test of time. The test of time. So what makes songs that are so, we consider them corny, but really we only consider them corny because we've either turned them into a meme or like like really the fact that it's so like catchy. Like the Rick Roll thing? Or the yeah, Rick, Rick Roll. Just do. Yes. I would, Thinking that song. I didn't want to I say it. I like that song. I didn't want to say it, but you said it. Okay, so you like it. You like it. You like I it. I like it. Okay. It, it, like uh, when I got Rick Roll, I was, I was happy to be Rick Roll. I was oh like, my oh, gosh. I get to listen to the song and see the guy on the counter do the backflips. And, aye, aye, aye. It's pretty no. sweet. Yeah, so um, I'm not a fan of that song, but there's a reason why that and then All Star, they kind of get annoying for us, but really the fact that they're so catchy. Yeah. And the fact that they're actually and they're great fun. songs. They're, yeah, they're fun. They're fun. They're, those melodies and those like the overall feel of the song has a fun vibe to it. And that's, I think, what it can turn corny. Because like, what is that one? Like, we are family. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sister Sledge. Yeah, it's kind of corny, but it's fun. It's like, yeah. You can't help it. Like, kind of like, it's like, oh, this is super corny, but I love it. <laughs> okay, so so get this, get this. Because disco is highly parodied and highly seen as a corny style of music, right? 
Yeah. But disco, before it was disco and when it was funk and, you know, R&B. Yeah. Like Motown. When disco was really… It was evolving into disco. Mm-hmm. When it was uh, in the Motown era in the 60s, it was coming out of the doo-wop era. Mm-hmm. And then by the 70s, Motown, like Jackson 5, Marvin Gaye, like that was the sound. And then the mid-late 70s, you had bands like Chic. Yeah. An, an average white band. Is that what they're called? Um, I think it's called Average White Band, AWB. The... I don't know if I've heard that one. Is I'm it... so positive it's Average White Band. It's a disco uh, standard that. It's a disco standard. Cool in the Gang as well. And so... I've heard of Cool in the Gang. I, I know I have to hear the song, but I know I've heard that name before. They're too cool for us. Uh, yeah, sorry. The, um, get your back up off the wall. Is yeah. That... <laughs> I wasn't thinking we we're going to get into disco. But because you mentioned uh, Sister Sledge, or you were referencing Sister Sledge, I was talking to someone about the fact that Sister Sledge, Diana Ross, Chic. And then there's another woman. I can't remember her name. Norma Jean. Which Isn't that a was, metal band? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. I actually liked Norma Jean growing up. I was listening to some Norma Jean. I remember hearing them a little bit because I went to a Christian high school and a lot of the mm-hmm. Christian hard, they're Christian yeah, hardcore. Yeah, it is Christian hardcore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why. Because yeah. I was listening to Under Oath and then yep. uh, For Today. Okay. Oh, and then uh, Demon Slayer. Yeah, Demon Slayer. And then I listened to uh, Norma Jean somewhere in between that time. Okay. Right after getting into Under Oath. Totally different band. Norma Jean, a member from Chic back in the the 70s, right? So Norma Jean, Diana Ross, Chic, and Sister Sledge are basically the same artist because they're produced by the bassist Bernard Edwards and the guitarist Nile Rodgers. So the music is very… It's the same. Okay. They're just pumping out disco hits. Disco hits, man. Just disco hits left and right. That makes sense. It was where the money was at. Those clubs, like the studios and all that, they were pulling in money and people wanted to hear that sound. So Yeah. Oh, and then Nile Rodgers uh, produced Let's Dance. I like that. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Oh, Bowie? The Bowie one? Yeah, Bowie, yeah. Okay. Let's dance. Yeah, that Put was… Put uh, on your red shoes. And yeah. <laughs> no, now Rogers is a monster when it comes to producing people. You know, obviously Daft Punk and all that oh, stuff. Oh, he goes up until <laughs> Daft Punk. <laughs> yeah, he does a lot of that stuff. So, it's just funny. Those last four… Uh, they're basically just Chic projects. They're just basically four Chic projects, including Chic themselves. And I was always like… They're literally the same sound, right? Yeah, with a different title, a different name. Different artist name, right. And so I'm kind of like, and then okay. you look into it and see, oh, that's why. But it worked, you know? And so I think that's why producers are pretty important because you realize that they're responsible for hits, but in different artist names. Yeah. Different project names. But then again, you kind of look back, you're like, well, it's basically the same sound. Right. And you're able to distinguish, you're pretty good with knowing producers sound like they have their way of producing i guess yeah absolutely it's hard for me to tell like oh this is his total production quality i haven't really gotten to yeah it's okay we can save it for another day yeah in fact we'll turn that into a part series as well as producers because we like to talk about producers here honestly it always goes back to radiohead but nigel everything goes back to radiohead i think it's nigel goldrich uh yeah it is Actually, I do notice his uh, production quality and why I like him as a producer because he did the Beck album Mutations, which I really like. 
And then he did like all of Radiohead's albums. So he has, I guess he has a style. What was that Beck album? See something? See if change? See change. See a change. Okay. Yeah. It's a pretty cool album. The history of it is like he went through a breakup or something and he um, wanted a very personal album. So he stripped it down and kind of made it just acoustic, folksy stuff. Okay. Right up my alley. Well, that's cool. I still haven't listened to. No, I, I have listened to Nigel. He's a pretty big name. His production's really good. Yeah. I looked it up and I was like, that's why I liked all these Radiohead albums. And that's why I really like Mutations. And it's like, it's him. He's the mastermind behind it. He's orchestrating this whole entire thing. He's the mastermind. He's in control. So now after I circle back, and we totally need to go back to the all-star thing another oh, time. Yeah. No, no. Let's So let's save that for the next episode. But let's finish our thought if it's even possible, right? Yeah. But... uh how important music theory is versus just kind of winging it. You already know from me that I have a good ear naturally. So you pretty much can play something and uh, have a way of knowing where it's going to go and how it's going to sound. I did not pay you to say that. So I appreciate uh, oh, I'm putting my check away right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it, man. There's I mean, the music theory, there's luck, and there's natural talent. Yeah, so being there at the right place, right time. Yeah. When inspiration strikes, you just take Lightning it. in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle, message in a bottle. Yep. Sending out an SOS. <laughs> Sending I hope that's home. Gets my <laughs> message Since I wrote my note. That's such a good song. Dude, you need Copeland in there. Yeah. So important. Even though I was uh, nerding out on Andy's harmonies. That oh, the ninth. yeah, the ninth. yeah, but the, yes. you hear the harmonies in there. He, I think it's like two guitar tracks, yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. cool, yeah. So we're gonna turn this into another one and we're gonna get more into All Star for the next one and further our songwriting because that's what we like to do. And we'll pick up off of Nick Drake and All Star, okay, <laughs> and just go from there and probably get more into the, the songwriting and. Oh, no, no. You know what? I totally got Nigel. Even though I knew Nigel, for a second, I got him mixed with Gil Norton, who produced Pixies and Foo Fighters. Oh, okay. Yeah, Gil Norton has a really cool sound. Huh. So, yes. Yeah, I'm still trying to learn to distinguish the producer's sound. I can with that uh, Nigel Goldrich, but with other stuff, it's kind of tricky. Like, that's something I'm learning, trying to learn. Then it's settled. We'll talk a little bit about producers and their styles. Okay. That'll be cool. That wraps it up for episode... 43. 43. We're going on to episode 44. So we will be with you guys next week. Tune into the Worktape podcast. It is Jeff and Isaac. Thank you for having me again. Dude, always. And uh, yeah, man, we'll talk later, Jeff. TTYL. TTYL. Jam with you later. JWYL. <laughs>